Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From MotoWeek.net, it's the MotoWeek Podcast with your host, Wilson. Why, hello and welcome to MotoWeek. My name is Wilson. Thank you so much for listening to the only MotoGP show on the internet that's already dedicating an entire show to Silly Season 2024 before the 23 year has even had its first test. And I apologize, by the way, for not giving you a show a little bit sooner. Um, As you know from my last program, I had some family stuff I had to take care of over the holiday break. And on my way back, I got a cold that knocked me almost completely out. It was worse than when I had COVID. It was crazy. The night of the last show that I did, I lost my voice completely. And of course, to the delight of my significant other, I couldn't say a daggone thing. Uh, It took me a couple of weeks to get over that, even though it's still kind of lingering a little bit. But I'm back and ready to talk some MotoGP now that we're in 2023. And we definitely have some stuff to talk about, including the first Silly Season rumors. Not just one, but multiple rumors for 2024. And we're getting to those even though we haven't even started testing for this year yet. But with Yamaha likely having a factory seat available next season, there is a lot of discussion being kicked around on which direction they might go. Of course, there are already some strong rumors that I'll give you my opinion on when it comes to that, along with some very interesting suggestions for other teams and riders for next season. So let's get down to it and talk about what people are saying. Before we start, though, I do want to invite you over to the website. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can find all of the latest episodes as soon as they're available at MotoWeek.net. You can follow on Instagram at MotoWeekUSA. You can also check out the show on Tumblr if you want to. Just search for MotoWeek. And most importantly, I want to know what you're up to. Leave your comments. Give me your opinions on Facebook at facebook.com slash motoweek.net and over on the incredibly entertaining Reddit sub at r slash motoweek. And nothing's off the table. If you want to talk about just bikes in general, that's cool. Post it over on Reddit. We'll talk about it on an upcoming show. It is your chance to tell me what you want to hear on the program. And if you do want to support the show, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash motoweek. And links to everything that I just mentioned can be found on the website at motoweek.net. All right, so here we go with the rundown. This is a list of just about everything we're going to talk about on this episode of the program. We'll start off with just one short MotoGP news story about Fabio Quattraro finding a way to make even more money than his incredibly lucrative Yamaha factory contract. Then after that, we are going to get to some very interesting silly season rumors for 2024. In fact, we're going to focus on those for the rest of the program, including whether a name from the past may be on his way to returning to the MotoGP paddock. And I'm sure you'll have some very definite opinions about this particular rider. Then, of course, Yamaha is going to be 
the main player for 2024 with the idea that a factory seat might be open. Who could they go after? Well, there are actually several names that have come up in discussion. We'll talk about all of them, and I'll tell you what I think might happen. And then, could Mark Marquez have a big move of his own on the horizon? Somebody is saying he might, but there's a lot of complicating factors there that we're going to discuss. But it certainly is the start of a story that we might be talking about, not just for one, but for two years from now. All right, so let's start by talking about just one small MotoGP news story. And this happened, I think it was last week. Fabio Quattraro signing a mega helmet deal. And this story is proof that I've pretty much been doing it wrong this entire time. And I'll explain what I mean. But first, let's talk about Fabio, who's been racing Scorpion helmets ever since coming to MotoGP. But of course, when you're one of the top riders in the sport, you win a championship and you compete for them on a regular basis, you get pretty popular amongst manufacturers who want you decked out in their stuff while you're out on the track. And that led to a brand new deal and a brand new helmet for El Diablo in 2023. He's reported, although this has not been confirmed yet, So even though I said this is MotoGP news, actually, I guess it goes with all of the other rumors we're talking about this episode of the program. Um, But he's reported to have signed a contract to switch over to HJC lids this season, netting him a rumored 750,000 euros per year just for wearing the helmet and, of course, telling everybody how awesome it is. Actually, riders don't even need to say how awesome it is. They basically have to wear the helmet do a couple of photo shoots, and that's pretty much it. 750,000 euros. And that is where I have clearly lost the plot from a business perspective. Because currently, all I wear are HJC helmets. I used to do Bell Stars, but the shape of the HJC just tends to fit me better. And I even have a new one on the way as we speak, because I needed something with a snow rating to do a car track day later on this year, and I typically only pay attention to sharp ratings when I'm buying helmets, so I had to get something that had the latest snow rating that they would accept. And so I'm wearing their helmets, and I pay for the privilege when I would gladly do a sponsorship deal for this show with HJC for a tenth of what they're paying Fabio Quattraro. Think about how much money they could save. Heck, for an extra 10K or so on top of that, I'd name the entire show after them. But did I go to them and try to get a sponsorship for the show? Possibly. I may have sent something to them a couple of years ago, but I I can't remember. And for the most part, no, I didn't pursue anything. So if anyone from HJC is listening, I'm willing to save you guys a ton of money. I mean, I'll give everyone the hard sell for the right price. And then, of course, a couple of free helmets to give away. I got to give you guys some helmets, right? If only I had an agent. Actually, if only I had Fabio Quattraro's agent, I guess I should say. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I'd do it just for the helmets to give away to you guys, you know? Swing me like 20, 30 helmets. We do a giveaway every show. I'd be down with that. Um, anyway, moving on uh, to things that are a lot less depressing for me personally, and also a lot more interesting for you guys when it comes to the future of MotoGP. Let's talk about some of these 2024 silly season rider rumors, which are already 
beginning the swirl, even though we haven't, like I said, gotten to the first test yet for 23. And I'll wait a little bit here to get to the main event, which unsurprisingly is Yamaha. First, let's talk about something that, in my opinion, is coming entirely from left field. The idea of Andrea Iannone making a return to the MotoGP grid. Now, according to his former manager, Carlos Pernat, who also managed Valentino Rossi at one point, um, and he said this on a podcast, another podcast that I didn't listen to, but I just read some of the transcript from it. But according to Pernat, this is not my opinion, it's his, Andrea Iannone's talent and marketability are just too much to keep him away from the paddock once his four-year suspension is up, which will happen right at the end of 2023. And that he even went further comparing Andrea to Rossi himself and saying, hey, if Valentino could compete for a championship in 2015 at the age of 36, then Yunone would still be fast next year on a MotoGP bike at age 35. Now, before we get to what I think of that set of suggestions by the always controversial Pernat, I think it would make sense to briefly address the Iannone situation overall, because let's face it, this thing happened so long ago that there very well may be some people listening who don't even know who or what I'm talking about right now. Uh, so Andrea Iannone, or as I've always referred to him, the other Andrea, uh, he's a bit of an enigma in MotoGP. And in my opinion, the classic example of unrealized potential. He rose to prominence between 2010 and 2012 in Moto2, where he was incredibly impressive. He finished third in the championship for three consecutive years. And I know what you're thinking, third, what's the big deal? Well, he scored eight wins and 19 podiums in two seasons on a speed-up and one on a suitor. And he did that in a Moto2 series that, back then, just like now, is dominated by Kalex chassis bikes. So that was impressive stuff then, and it's impressive stuff now. I'm fairly certain that Yunone is the most successful Moto2 rider ever on a speed-up bike. Now, like everybody else who's had success on that particular chassis, that earned him a MotoGP promotion, first with Pramac. That quickly turned into two-year factory stints with Ducati, alongside Andrea Davizioso. I'm sorry, it was two Andreas on the same team. Then Suzuki. And then that, in turn, was followed by a two-year factory deal with Aprilia, although he only completed the majority of one of those seasons, at which point he tested positive for steroids, was initially banned by 18 months, but instead of just setting it out and coming back, he very unwisely decided to appeal that 18-month ban, even though every other rider who had tested positive for steroids who had come before him that had tried to appeal was unsuccessful. And not only was that ban upheld, but the World Anti-Doping Agency showed up to the appeal and they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dorna and MotoGP have a deal with us where if somebody tests positive for steroids, the ban is supposed to be four years. So completing the act of shooting himself in the foot, not only did he end up with a suspension, but Yanone was then banned for four years from any FIM approved competition. Now, 
Yanone's time in the premier class was definitely a mixture of tantalizing displays of ability, including 11 podiums and a victory, but there was also plenty of controversy. He wasn't really known for getting along with his teammates very well, which was a main part of the reason, in my opinion, that he bounced from factory to factory to factory. Um, And he was repeatedly accused, not just by teammates, but by teams, of being more focused on his social media status and his promo deals than he was in his training and his performance on track. And, you know, without rehashing the entire story, I think that was pretty much his undoing. Because the steroid that he was banned for is one that's more associated with appearance amongst bodybuilders than it was with strength or endurance. So, the ban that he received is going to be up just prior to the end of the 2023 season. But does that then mean that a 35-year-old Yanone is going to find his way back onto the MotoGP grid like his former manager is suggesting? Well, The thing here about Carlos Pernod is that he's known for making headline type of statements that don't always come true. And even he immediately started walking back his premier class prediction, saying that, quote, maybe it won't be a MotoGP, maybe it'll be in World Superbikes, end of quote, but that Yunone is coming back. Now, that last part, the part that he walked back, far more realistic. I mean, honestly, I think that SBK is Yanone's only play here out of maybe a return in Italian superbikes. And to Perinot's point about marketability, he's right, at least as it applies to Italian fans. I mean, Andrea is still a promotional draw for sponsors within Italy. He's kept up that Playboy image that really plays well in his home country. But in a MotoGP, that is thoroughly dominated by young talent. We saw that full-on display this past season. I don't see Yunone getting a serious offer to return. And even if he did, there would be no Rossi 2015 magic. I mean, he wouldn't be much more than a sideshow attraction. And teams know that, and that's not what they're looking for nowadays in a rider. I mean, five or six years ago, Yeah, there would be a real possibility that a rider in his situation at his age, with his popularity in Italy, would be able to come back. Because five or six years ago, there were rent-a-ride teams. There were teams that would take on a rider solely because that rider brought sponsorship to the table. Back then, that would have been enough, or that might have been enough. In today's premier class, with so many current year bikes on the grid and so much factory involvement with the satellite teams and so much speculation on young talent to try to find not just the next Mark Marquez, which used to be the ultimate goal, but now, I mean, teams are trying to find the next Fabio Quattraro, the next Peco Bagnaia, heck, the next Enea Bastianini. And so when you're a rider trying to make it into MotoGP now, as opposed to five or six or 10 years ago, You need more than just some social media pop. You need a path into the future for that team and more importantly, for that manufacturer. And being perfectly honest, Andrea Iannone or any 35-year-old rider simply doesn't offer a path into the future for a manufacturer. So as much as Pernant wants to talk up his guy, and I understand why he does, 
MotoGP is not happening for Andrea Iannone in 2024. World Superbike could totally see that happen. And that really is the best place for him, either there or, like I said before, the Italian Superbike series. But I could definitely see World Superbike, especially with the performance of Alvaro Batista this past year and the fact that Jonathan Ray has been able to consistently maintain his level of performance, only dropping off a little bit, even though he is the same age as someone like Andrea Iannone. So World Superbike, yeah, and that would be an interesting story to watch for sure. But Premier Class, it's just not going to happen. Not in this particular environment in MotoGP. But the other rumor being kicked around, far more interesting. And unsurprisingly, it involves Yamaha, who may already, much to Franco Morbidelli's chagrin, they may be already shopping for a 2024 rider to go alongside Fabio Quattraro. And this is a very interesting storyline that we will undoubtedly be following throughout the entire season. Franco Morbidelli, of course, earned himself a two-year factory deal after that incredibly impressive 2020 when he finished second in the championship at Petronas Yamaha. Of course, after that, he had the injury in 2021, the knee injury, that really affected him on track. He came back last year, technically at full strength, but... I don't know. I have no clue if it's residual from the injury or if it was something else going on with him. But for lack of a better descriptor, Morbidelli was terrible last season. Developed no momentum, finished 19th in the standings in the same year that Fabio Quattraro on the same bike won three races, finished second overall himself, and took the championship down to the final race after leading it for a majority of the season. And so unless Franco Morbidelli experiences an epic turnaround this year, the overwhelming consensus is that he's done at the factory level. That, of course, then begs the question, who's Yamaha going to be fishing for in 2024? Now, I apologize that that kind of sort of rhymed. That's usually not my MO, and I did not mean it that way. Um, But the number one option at this point, if you listen to what everybody's talking about, The number one option seems to be Jorge Martin. Now, of course, Martin was snubbed by Ducati for a factory ride after it was essentially promised to him at the start of last season. Then Anea Bastianini came out of nowhere and won multiple races and finished top three in the standings. And that, of course, ruined that particular deal for Martin. Now, when something as disappointing as that happens, you go from being certain that you're heading to the championship winning factory team, right? To being stuck in the same place that you were last year. That naturally is going to make him a prime candidate to look at other options as soon as possible. And he can actually start looking pretty much right away because not only is Martin racing on a one-year contract this season with Pramac, but he's also going into this year knowing that he's stuck behind champ Pecco Bagnaia and Bastianini, who are both locked into those red leathers for two seasons, all the way until the end of 2024. So there's no chance he'll get the opportunity to move up to the factory Ducati squad until at least the 2025 season, which wouldn't necessarily be too late. He'd be around 26, 27 at that point, but he will definitely be missing out on at least the beginning of the prime of his career if he just hangs out on the satellite squad and hopes 
that maybe Ducati isn't happy with either Bagnaia or Bastianini at that point. Now, of course, there's little doubt that if Martin wanted to, he would be welcomed back with open arms at Pramac next season, even if he turns in a semi-good effort. But I would argue that the sting of losing that factory rod, along with the lure of going to Ducati's biggest rival and showing them what they missed out on, that's probably going to be a pretty big draw for someone like Martin. And so if you read stories about Yamaha pursuing Jorge or vice versa, I would believe them. I mean, he'd be stupid not to want to make that leap to Yamaha. And I would argue that he's the number one option for them right now, and they're probably his number one option. Uh, But not the only rider on the table. Of course, you've got to consider World Superbike star Topark Ratzgat Lioglu, who already is a Yamaha rider and an SBK champion, who has already said that he's interested in going to MotoGP. But of course, he flatly refused to consider a Yamaha satellite ride to make the switch to the Premier Class last season, saying he would only accept a factory ride, which wasn't going to happen because both Morbidelli and Quattraro were under contract. But now, of course, there would be this ready-made opportunity with Morbidelli not performing well and his contract coming to an end. The problem, though, with Ratzgat Lioglu at this point is twofold. Number one, he'll be 27 years old at the point where that second factory seat becomes open. And considering it might take him a year at minimum to adjust to MotoGP before really excelling, it doesn't bode well for his championship prospects because it's tough enough to be 28, 29 and compete for a championship. It's possible for sure. But once you reach that magic 30 mark, it becomes way, way harder according to the stats. And I know there are people that would argue with me on that, but that's what the statistics show that in MotoGP, once you reach 30 years old, it becomes much less likely, even as a multi-time champion, that you're going to be able to actually win another title. So he would have only a few opportunities after making the switch to realistically go after a championship. So I think that's the first problem. And I think that both he and Yamaha realize that. Second, though, and I think this is really the major problem, is that Raz's manager, Keenan Safoglu, is hyper-focused on his riders' popularity and their marketability in their home country of Turkey. That is the main reason why he never made a serious bid himself as a multi-time supersport champion of trying to come over to MotoGP, or really even making a serious run at World Superbike itself. He just stayed in Supersport because he was very successful there. He won a gazillion races and podiums and championships on top of that. But that's also why Chan Anchu, Denise Anchu's brother, who's also a Turkish rider managed by Safoglu, that's why he only spent a short amount of time in Moto3. And when he didn't get very much traction outside of his epic first race, which was a victory, then he pulled him back, put him in World Supersport, where he's now a top three rider because getting on the podium gets him better sponsorship deals in his home country. And now you've got somebody like Razgat Lioglu, who is now a widely known name in the motorcycle world. Of course, he's a World Superbike champion, he is a consistent winner and podium finisher in the series, and he's also a perennial championship favorite at this point. And his main rivals, 
Alvaro Batista and Jonathan Ray, are 38 and 35 respectively. He's the young kid who now could establish his own dynasty in World Superbike. And so I think that as far as his manager is concerned, the draw to remain in SBK and capitalize on Toprock's ability to win races and gain popularity, that's going to be really strong. And so I think that unlike a year ago or two years ago, I think that Razgat Lioglu, at least from the rider and manager perspective, is going to be much less likely of an option to make the move over to Yamaha, even if there is some interest on Yamaha's part. Although, really, when you look at it, you've got this 27-year-old who's winning new races and competing for championships and making Yamaha look great in one series. And you could destroy that for not a lot of gain in MotoGP. And meanwhile, on the other side, you've got a guy like Jorge Martin, currently 24 years old, unquestionably talented, and a multi-time race winner in MotoGP who could give you the same type of pop, the same type of boost as Razgat Lioglu is giving you on the World Superbike side. I think that Yamaha, in the end, is going to say, well, it makes sense to keep Raz where he is, being successful, which would be fine with Keenan Safoglu, and pursue this young, hungry talented rider with plenty of MotoGP experience to try to take it to the next level and compete and push a guy like Fabio Quattraro, who they already know has the ability to win races and championships. So I think that Martin is almost a slam dunk. Of course, he thought that this past year when it came to the factory Ducati squad and it didn't work out. So we'll have to watch how this all progresses. But strangely enough, That is not the only rumor. Those are not the only riders rumored to be surrounding Yamaha for next season. And it only gets weirder as more than one person, more than one person are suggesting that Marc Marquez could be on the move for 2024. And we're going to start by going back to our good friend, Carlos Pernat, who on the same podcast where he made the only slightly plausible suggestion that Andrea Iannone could return to MotoGP, he also opined, and yes, I did say the word opine there. Um, I apologize for that. But he also said that Yamaha should not limit themselves to a rider like Jorge Martin and went on to say, hey, what's to stop them from going after Marc Marquez for their second seat? Well, I think there kind of is an answer to the second part of that question, at least. What's to stop them? Mark's contract. That's what would stop Yamaha from going after Mark Marquez. Mark is tied up with Honda until the end of 2024. And I really don't see the Repsol bunch saying, hey, you went out of your contract so you can go over to Yamaha and potentially beat us? Go for it. Have at it. No, they're not going to do that. And not just because they know that he can still win for them if they give him the right bike. But also, just like Valentino Rossi hung on for so long at Yamaha, and they didn't mind because of the massive marketing potential that somebody like Rossi brings to the table as a nine times world champion, as Nick Harris used to say, like every five minutes. Um, But Mark brings that same potential to Honda as an eight times world champion. And you don't just give that up because he's thinking that maybe that Yamaha looks good over there when you have that guy under contract. Um, Now, honestly, I wasn't prepared to give Pranat any leeway on Yanone 
coming back to MotoGP, but I'm even less inclined to think that there is any way that Marc Marquez goes to Yamaha before his current Honda contract is done. It's just not going to happen. But that then brings us to another controversial comment. This one by somebody who's a bit more familiar with Mark's situation because Jorge Lorenzo says that Mark is eventually going to have to choose here when that Honda contract is up. He says he's going to have to choose, quote, between winning and making money, suggesting that Honda is going to be incapable of keeping up with Ducati in the near future. So Mark might need to consider maybe a smaller contract to go somewhere else in exchange for getting a more competitive bike in the end where he has a better chance of winning races and maybe finally getting that ninth world championship. But, you know, just like we talked about a moment ago, Mark is already under contract until the end of 2024. At that point, he'll be 31 years old. And also, like I mentioned before, statistically speaking, after age 30, his chances of winning another championship go down exponentially. On top of that, I don't have to tell you guys how many health and injury problems Mark has had late in his career. And that definitely is going to be factoring into his decision-making process at the end of this current contract as well. So if you're this late in your career and you've been injured that many times, if you're Mark Marquez, do you take a chance and go to another manufacturer a la Valentino Rossi to Ducati? Or do you take a safe deal, sign another one or two year contract with Honda and just have fun racing until you feel like you're done racing, right? Instead of feeling like you have to be right back on the razor's edge with a Yamaha or a Ducati or an Aprilia or anybody else for that matter, KTM, to try to make something happen in the championship when maybe it's not there and risk getting injured again. I think we know what the logical decision would be there. Of course, a lot of times MotoGP doesn't work out in a logical manner, and especially when you're talking about riders and their egos and what they want to accomplish in their career, things don't necessarily go the logical way. Honestly, I think that it's a bit too early to make that determination, what he may or may not want to do, because I really just don't know how adventurous Mark is is when it comes to the idea of trying to win for another manufacturer. Certainly, he would have had that opportunity a couple of years ago. He didn't take it then, which makes me think he would be even less likely to go ahead and make that jump in what's going to be two years from now. Now, at the point where he signed that four-year contract with Honda, I mean, he already had so many championships that he didn't feel like He was going to be pressed to go to try to prove anything to anyone else with another manufacturer. And so I don't think he's going to be very pressed to try to win another one at 30 plus to the extent that he runs off to another manufacturer to do it. If he signs another contract, I think he would probably only do it if he felt confident enough that Honda, that he's already familiar with, could offer him the type of bike that he would need to make that kind of run at a championship. So I think a much more realistic scenario, if he doesn't retire at the end of 2024, has him kind of playing mentor to another young contender for Honda while he finishes out his career as a veteran presence at Repsol, either at the end of 2024 or maybe through 25 and 26. And then he calls it quits. But 
I don't know. I could be wrong there. Then, heck, if you listen to what Danny Pedrosa was telling uh, DAZN this week, even with a less than spectacular bike, in his opinion, a fully fit Mark Marquez is good enough all on his own to throw a wrench into Ducati's championship plans for next year. And, you know, I tend to agree with him to an extent, obviously. They have to get that bike in the ballpark. But if they do, Mark absolutely is still talented enough to take something close and make it into a championship winner. And if he is legitimately in the championship hunt this year, I think that's going to kind of lock him into Honda for as long as he wants to race. Because he knows that, again, if they can make the bike a little bit better in 2024, that gets him a little bit closer, and then maybe 25 and 26. But they are going to have to up their game. Because, let's face it, Mark Marquez isn't the same rider he was in his prime. And I'm not sure he can single-handedly overcome all of the Honda's shortcomings. So they've got to be somewhere close to Ducati to make it happen. But if they can, then, and only then, Mark could make the kind of difference that Danny's talking about. And of course, we'll find out here in a couple of weeks when they go to test in Sepang how far Honda has gotten in bridging that gap from last season to what Ducati and Yamaha were able to do. Um, So that's it for this round of Silly Season Rumors and discussion and talk about what might happen, not this year in the championship, but next year on the grid. But I don't know. What do you think? Could Mark already be looking somewhere else for the future? Maybe even trying to get out of his contract at the end of 2023? Meanwhile, this season, can Honda get close enough to Ducati to start the season for Mark to make a difference? And who is Yamaha looking to pick up for 2024 if Franco Morbidelli doesn't make a career-changing turnaround, which I think we all know is not going to happen? Is Martin the best option? Is it Rosgat Leoglu? Should they try, as unlikely as the possibility would be, to go after Mark Marquez? Or is there somebody completely different that they should go after, knowing that they already have Fabio Quattraro and they don't need another championship rider today. They need an Anaya Bastianini type of guy that they can develop into the person who takes over when Quattraro starts to get older. So let me know what you think, and we'll talk about your comments on the next episode, along with all of the latest MotoGP news as we start to close in on the first test of the 2023 season. We're going to have a lot of shows coming up, A lot of stuff to talk about coming up, and I don't want you to miss a single episode of the program. So if you have not done it yet, I would highly recommend you subscribe to the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player.fm, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible Podcasts. Basically, go to your favorite podcasting site, type in the word MotoWeek, You should be able to find the program. Of course, you can always get all of the latest episodes as soon as they come out on the website at motoweek.net. You can follow on Instagram at motoweekusa. You can check it out on Tumblr. Just search for motoweek there. And most importantly, leave your comments, especially when it comes to what you think Yamaha is going to do in 2024. You can do that on Facebook at facebook.com slash motoweek.net. I know it's a weird name. Um, Or you can post on the Reddit sub at r slash MotoWeek. And if you do feel like supporting the show and you don't have to feel obligated, but if you want to, you can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash MotoWeek. All right. So until we talk again, just a couple of days from now, I want to thank you so much for listening. Ride safe. 
and I'll talk to you soon. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.